Hello and welcome to another episode of Tech Disruptors by Bloomberg Intelligence. My name is Kunjun Shabani and I'm a senior technology analyst on the Bloomberg Intelligence team, Bloomberg's in-house research group. As a Broadcom alum myself, I'm really excited to have Ram Velaga, senior vice president and general manager of the core switching group at Broadcom. Also joining me is my colleague Wujin Ho, who covers hardware and storage for Bloomberg Intelligence and will be co-hosting this episode with me today. Ram, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It would be great to hear a little bit about yourself and your journey to your current role at Broadcom. I've been in networking you know, industry for over uh, 20 years now. Um, I started my a career in an uh, OEM, networking OEM uh, company. I was there for about uh, 12 years and then uh, joined Broadcom about in uh, 2012. And part of the reason I joined, you know, Broadcom from an OEM company was in 2012, I started to notice a lot of the large scale uh, data center, you know, uh, providers were looking to go straight to the silicon provider to start building their networks rather than buying from the OEM. So I saw that as an opportunity to stay closer to the customers by being in the silicon business. Well, you definitely jumped on the train at the right time. Maybe we can start off with a quick snapshot of the core switching group at Broadcom. What products and markets do you focus on? And how is Broadcom positioned in these markets? Yeah, so, you know, um, our core switching group, essentially, we cover um, networking products all the way from small, medium businesses to enterprise, you know, businesses into the service providers and eventually into the data centers, you know, both enterprise data centers as well as large, you know, mega scale data centers. And, you know, the products we specifically have is when you look at, you know, small, medium business or even in the enterprise business, you generally see an Ethernet port and an Ethernet cable there. And the switch that sits behind it is an Ethernet switch. And then from there on, it connects to larger switches that sit inside an enterprise and eventually to a service provider, whether it's AT&T, Verizon, whoever your service provider is, telco service provider. And all of that traffic eventually goes into some kind of a data center. So, we have these switches that you know go across this wide gamut of use cases, and we have three product lines. You know, one is called the Trident product line, which is focused on the enterprise business, and another is called the Jericho you know product line that's focused on the service provider you know market, and then the other called the you know Tomahawk product line, which is largely focused on these very very large mega scale data centers. Great. You know, these days, you cannot have a discussion around data centers without talking about generative AI and large language models. What are your views on these trends and the impact it has on your business? Yeah, uh, you're right. You know, starting November or December, you know, last year, uh, yeah, if you haven't heard the word generative AI, then you must have been really on an island someplace. But when you actually kind of think about it, um, right, essentially the generative AI from our standpoint is something that is generating a lot more load on the networks than we have seen before. And if you think about it, if you actually look back many years ago, you had this idea of a mainframe computing. And you as a client would reach out to your mainframe computer and the traffic would all be what we call north-south, right? The client's reaching out to a mainframe, you get a response back and so on and so forth. Then after that, you know, in the early 2000s, you had this whole idea of, you know, a distributed computing, right? And the idea of distributed computing really took off because these applications were scaling so much that you no longer could build one large server that was capable of handling these applications. 
So you had many of these, you know, commodity servers put together, connected over an, you know, Ethernet network or a fabric that looked like it was one large computer. In a classic example, you could think about the Google data centers or, you know, Facebook slash Meta's data centers, right? All of these were a particular application that was not good enough to be, that could not be fit on one CPU, but had to be running on many CPUs. So the idea of the distributed computing took, you know, escape velocity in that time period. Now, when you look at it, the generative AI is just taking it to the next level. You move from an area where you were used to use CPUs to now you need, you know, GPUs. And the workloads are so large, you cannot do it on any one GPU. You need to be able to connect many, many GPUs together to be able to do this workload. And as you're connecting many of these GPUs together, there's a lot of data that is shuffled between these GPUs. And that is where our network comes into play. Being able to connect many GPUs so they act like one GPU so that very, very large training models can be run on it. That's great. That, that really helps paint a clear picture. You know, what, what are some of the unique components and technologies uh, that actually power uh, the Gen AI? You, you were talking about the, the GPU uh, portion of it. You were talking about the CPU portion of it, but it seems as if the GPU is becoming a, a big a piece, right? And, and Broadcom doesn't have the GPU piece, but but uh, what is the importance of the Broadcom uh, to power these parts of these GPU clusters? Yeah, so, you know, when you generally look at, uh, you know, how these data center architectures are evolving, right? G there's three parts to a data center, you know, if you ignore all the physical aspects of it. There is the compute, there is memory, and then there's something that connects this compute and the memory together, which is the networking, right? And within the compute, there is two kinds of, you know, computes. There is, you know, the general compute or the CPUs as we used to know it. And now there is an acceleration of that compute with graphics processors, which have very specific instruction sets and vector processors that they have that can achieve certain, you know, job completion times much more faster and more efficiently than versus you using a CPU. But as you look at this MLAI workloads, there is a lot of data that these GPUs need to be able to access. And this data that is kind of, you know, sometimes it's directly attached storage. So when you look at these, you know, GPU chips, you have HPMs, which is directly attached memory to these GPUs. But sometimes, as I was saying before, these models are so large that you have to go beyond, you know, one GPU to be able to train these large models, and which is where the network comes into play. When you look at how Broadcom plays in the space in general, in the whole idea of computing, you know, computing and storage and networking, we don't make compute, right, whether it is a CPU or a GPU, uh, at least as merchant silicon products, and we don't make storage. But we make all the other elements of the network that ties the storage and the compute together. So, for example, when the traffic leads the, leaves the compute, you will have CERTES, you know, on which you, you know, put the data onto. And eventually it's transmitted on some kind of either physical, you know, copper, you know, infrastructure or an optical infrastructure. Then it gets connected to a switch that then forwards the traffic to eventually some, you know, destination, which is a CPU or a GPU. So the role that Broadcom plays is in addition to connectivity that I just kind of discussed, now we also provide, you know, ASIC services to those that want to build their own CPUs or GPUs. There are those that build supercomputers with very specific CPUs that Broadcom builds the ASICs for. And there are those that build, you know, GPUs or their equivalent of GPU slash accelerators that Broadcom builds the ASICs for. So that is how we participate in the market. In addition to essentially providing all the connectivity pieces, being able to help customers put together their own ASICs, whether they are CPUs or GPUs. And I think that 
part about where Broadcom plays in the networking is a good segue to my next question. When we look at the key technologies that power sort of the AI infrastructure and the networking today, Ethernet and InfiniBand are the key protocols that come to mind. Could you help us understand at a very high level the key differences between the two? Sure. So when you actually look at you know both of these technologies, right? You know, InfiniBand is a technology that's in somewhere in uh, nineteen ninety nine is when it kind of got started. the The focus of InfiniBand was how do I actually enable memory access, you know, between um, you know, between CPUs, right? It's kind of an extension of a CPU bus, as you can think about it, or a compute bus, as you think about it. And so there, the real focus was all about hey, I want to be able to provide high bandwidth and you know, low latency. And because you were actually shuffling you know, memory, so to say, you had to make sure that there was no packet loss. Okay, so that's kind of the, base, the basic premise on which you know, InfiniBand was created, which is no packet losses, you know, it's memory transfers, I need high bandwidth and I need low latency. Then you look at you know, Ethernet slash IP on the other side. That's the technology for the masses. Right, you know, you have an Ethernet cable sitting in your home in an enterprise. Eventually, you kind of go into the you know the data center, and the whole idea of the Ethernet and the IP is the whole world is connected over Ethernet slash IP. Right, you know, as somebody coming in from Singapore connecting to somebody's data center in in the US, it's all connected over an Ethernet and IP fabric. And the underlying premise of an Ethernet slash IP fabric is you will have packet loss. Okay, you cannot build a lossless network. You will have a packet loss. So when you have a packet loss, then how do you recover from that packet loss? And that is where you kind of relied on upper layer protocol stacks like TCP IP to be able to do retransmission of the packets. And what TCP IP would do is it would say, okay, you know what, a packet was sent, but the other side did not receive it. And then I got this negative acknowledgement or you know, signal back that the packet was not sent. So I'm going to retransmit the packet. So what that meant was there's some amount of CPU overhead that was involved in essentially making retransmissions happen on a network that is expected to be lossy. So now that you have clarity between these two, like InfiniBand was built at the assumption that it was going to be lossless, high bandwidth, low latency. And you have Ethernet on the other side that was built with, hey, look, traffic is going to get dropped. Now let's try to figure out how we recover traffic that was going to be dropped. Let me stop here to make sure that these two fundamentals are clear because this kind of forms the foundation for how we think about, you know, the next few things we're going to talk about. Any sure. questions on this? No, and you perfectly highlighted a topic regarding loss and lossless, which I was discussing with Bujin last week, and I think Bujin has some questions on that. Yeah, and, and, I, and I do think I did that round. That was actually a fantastic overview on, on Ethernet technology and, and InfiniBand technology. And, and, and I think that you know, once we start going into uh, high bandwidth, high capacity, low latency, and and uh, a lossless technology and error correction, you know, Ethernet always had historically had a tough time doing that. And you explained it well, but it seems as if uh, with, with your new chip, you're able to resolve that. Could, could you just talk about that a little bit on how you're able to uh, resolve the, the, the lossless, uh, well, the lossy nature of Ethernet? To become much more of a lossless uh, uh, data stream. Yeah. So, so then what happened, right? So this is like the you know twenty years ago, you know, where these two technologies were. What I explained. So then, over the last you know ten fifteen years, as these large mega scale data centers were built, the large mega scale data centers were already looking at this problem, saying, "Hey, look, we have large amounts of you know data that needs to be shuffled." 
I cannot build it using InfiniBand because InfiniBand was, you know, purpose-built. It was kind of built for certain, you know, scale, even in terms of physically how things had to be co-located, how the cables had to be, you know, engineered and everything. And I cannot build a separate InfiniBand network. And more importantly, I cannot build an InfiniBand network that is so large and then be able to large run my very large data centers. So they started looking at how do I solve this problem on Ethernet itself? So then they said, let's try to make Ethernet lossless. Okay. And it was very similar to what people were also trying to do when they were trying to make fiber channel run on Ethernet and they were trying to make, you know, Ethernet lossless and they called it FCOE and so on and so forth. So similar technologies like PFC, which was priority flow control was introduced into Ethernet about 10 plus years ago. Okay. And the idea was you can actually make Ethernet lossless, just like InfiniBand is lossless. And the way InfiniBand is lossless is, you know, every hop, it actually gives you credit to be able to trans receive and transmit the packet. So it's almost like saying, till a room, till an elevator is empty, I'm not going to let the next passenger come in. So that kind of an, you know, way to think about it. So Ethernet said we could do the same thing. And then they had this whole idea of a technology called PFC. Then the problem with the technology like PFC became priority flow control became, you could actually propagate congestion backward. If one switch starts to get full, it indiscriminately starts to back everybody up, the switch before it and the switch before it and so on and so forth, right? So then, you know, everybody started to look at it and saying, can there be more interesting technologies and in how congestion is managed inside the Ethernet switches, okay? So that you can get that lossless attributes that InfiniBand gave you, but you can also have the scale that Ethernet provides. And so that's the kinds of problems that we've solved in our, you know, switches, like in Jericho 3 AI, as well as in Tomahawk class of products. So let, let me see if that gives you enough clarity before I kind of, you know, dive a little bit more details into how we do it specifically in, you know, each of these devices. No, I think you articulated it really well. So now when you think about this, right, this, you know, almost everything that happens in networking, you just think of it as traffic on the street. You know, it's a congestion management problem on the, uh, on the street. First is you try to make these highways as wide as possible, as fast as possible, right? Think about the speed at which you can go as latency, how wide you can go as the bandwidth, right? Mm -hmm. So you make these things very fast, you know, in terms of latency and bandwidth. Then you start to solve the problem, which is when you're on the highway, you have, you know, let's say you have eight lanes. But hypothetically, if you put all the traffic on one or two of the lanes and remaining four lanes are, you know, remaining six lanes are, you know, empty, what ends up happening is you end up creating congestion, right? And that's exactly what happens in MLAI kind of workloads. In MLAI workloads, what happens is you have many GPUs talking to many GPUs and they're talking to them for extended periods of time. So when they're talking to them for extended periods of time, what happens is that communication channel remains open for a long period of time, and that actually takes up one of these lanes on the highway, hypothetically. Then when another GPU starts to talk to another GPU, you may end up putting the next you know, flow or this communication on the same lane that is already occupied. And so in the previous world of just Ethernet TCP IP, there would not be so much of a problem because most of these communications were short-lived you may be trying to reach out to somebody on a voice over IP call or something else, and those communications are short-lived so that you rarely get put behind another you know, flow which is already existent because the flows themselves are for a very short period of time. But now when you have a long, long flow, very likely you could have another flow that is stuck behind a flow that's already there for a long period of time, whereas the other ones are not effectively, lanes are not being effectively used. So you start looking at the problem and saying, okay, how do you actually now make sure that all the flows are evenly distributed on all the available lanes. 
So there's a lot of magic that kind of goes into the background that says, let's take these flows and break them into smaller pieces. And then you can actually spray them across all the available lanes. And then when you're receiving them the other end, you want to make sure that packet two is not arriving before packet one because out of order, you know, receivership can actually cause problems. And then you reorder everything when you actually receive them, right? So those are the kinds of technologies that are now available in these Ethernet switches that allow you to make sure you have the best utilization of all available links. And is that why, I guess, so far when we look at very high performance servers, the ones used for generative AI, is the inherent losslessness of InfiniBand, that's why it has been the largely deployed uh, solution in this area. And based on what you said, your new products are solving those problems. So does that change going forward as an Ethernet becomes a more preferred choice? Yeah. So when you think about it, right, a lot of the InfiniBand cluster sizes before, if you think about it, they were built for two, you know, anywhere from 64 servers connected to each other to 256 to 512 and so and so, maybe a thousand, so and so forth. Whereas the Ethernet has always been built for, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands, and if not much larger number of compute nodes. So you have these two different competing technologies. One that came from, you know, essentially very large scale commodity economics to from another that actually came from, you know, smaller nodes, very well, you know, engineered. And you didn't have commodity economics in there because you're like a single way vendor, vertically integrated solutions, mm -hmm. right? And so now what is happening is, you know, as this choice is, you know, being manifested in front of, you know, uh, end users or customers, they're thinking, okay, scale I, can I scale InfiniBand? Or do I add these capabilities to, you know, Ethernet? And today we can say, that, you know, actually even for the last few years, with technologies like Rocky, which is being able to take RDMA, which is remote direct memory access capabilities, which were initially built for e uh, InfiniBand, and they were transported over converged Ethernet. The reason they call it converged Ethernet is because it actually has that lossless attributes of Ethernet. People are finding and that you can actually do this at scale on Ethernet very with, you know, uh, economically compared to doing it over InfiniBand, right? And you don't have to take my word for it. Actually, um, Oracle OCI, they put out a blog that they talk about superclusters, tens of thousands of GPUs, you know, connected over an Ethernet infrastructure. If you look at Amazon's network, where they I'm sure they're deploying a lot of GPUs. They're all based on an Ethernet, you know, infrastructure. So you can count a lot of these mega scales that are actually doing it on Ethernet. So you can do it today, it's available today, and you know the performance of it is just as good and in some cases even better than InfiniBand. And, and Ron, can, can I just step in here for, for a second? Because um, I was going through some of the third-party data and the AI networking piece is roughly about $2 billion in market size. Three quarters of that is InfiniBand. I know that generative AI has been really hot right now, but AI in general, AI networking isn't anything new. To, to, be, to be fair, um, I almost got the sense that uh, because of InfiniBand's place in high-performance compute, they almost had a first-mover advantage relative to Ethernet before some of some of the solutions were being delivered uh, from guys like uh, like companies like Broadcom to uh, follow the, the lossless nature and, and also the high-speed nature that that InfiniBand had early on, the advantage that they had early on. I mean, how much of that uh, can we attribute to the first mover nature? Because from my understanding and dealing with the cloud guys for quite some time now, they actually prefer Ethernet technology 
if they had no other choice. Yeah, you know, I, I would say it's, you know, if you actually think about it, back, you know, in the early 2000s, right, InfiniBand had, you know, bandwidth advantage over Ethernet. You know, you could say at any given point in time in the early 2000s, InfiniBand was probably maybe, you know, 2x plus faster than, you know, Ethernet. Today, if you look at it, at a given point in time, Ethernet is at least has twice the bandwidth of InfiniBand. So actually, the positions have flipped. On top of that, you actually see on Ethernet, there is a very predictable execution. Every 18 to 24 months, you see the doubling of the bandwidth. Then you actually start looking at what happened even in the HPC space. In the early 2000s, you know, quite a majority of the top 500 supercomputers on the world, in the world were connected over InfiniBand. In the you know, late you know, 20 teens, majority of the supercomputers in the world were actually connected over Ethernet. Then came you know, the 2020s, and then what's happening is as you're building these large GPUs, you know, the, you know, the answer starts to end up being, hey, we're going to put an InfiniBand in there. I think that is more by virtue of vertical integration mm -hmm. rather than first mover technology advantage. Um, I would actually say today, if you compare performance to performance and measure something purely on the merits of technology and, you know, uh, economics, Ethernet will win hands down. But when you have a solution that is vertically integrated where somebody puts the GPU together, puts the InfiniBand solution together and says, hey, look, this whole thing has been engineered. You don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to put it in your data center, right? And you can get this up and running in a day. Then that, that, that is the virtue by which what is being sold is InfiniBand, not by virtue of it having a technology or an economic advantage. And then just to follow up to that, what do you think will change this going forward. I mean, we, we have established that from a performance point of view, Ethernet is even better right now. Uh, but there is definitely that systems uh, attractiveness of buying a whole system, which is ready to go from day one. Why would that change going forward? You know, I would say um, a lot of things in technology, you can kind of go and take a look back at, you know, uh, uh, Clayton Christensen's, you know, uh, book, which is The Disruptive Technologies, Innovator's Dilemma. When technologies first come into the market, there is a tendency to always vertically integrate because you're trying to tune everything to the highest performance you can achieve, and there is less of an attention paid to economics. But as these technologies achieve mass adoption, what ends up happening is you tend to end up disaggregating along well-defined interfaces. And then the market forces are going to be such that everybody is going to build a piece of that overall solution that they are extremely good at. And all of that, you know, then will interface over standard, you know, interfaces. This is exactly what's going to happen. That's what happened in the compute space where you probably had vertically integrated computers where somebody built, you know, their own CPU, they put it into a box, they wrote their, you know, software on it sold a massive system, and over a period of time, you had people who were building CPUs, people who were building operating systems, whether it's a Windows or a Linux, and then there were people who were building white boxes and so on and so forth. The exact same thing is going to start happening even in this MLAI space, when is, you know, when the performance of alternate technologies exceeds the requirements of the customers, which is where Ethernet is already there, you will all standardize across standard interfaces, and then you will even allow the GPUs to compete on the merits of the GPUs. You may have a vendor one today that has most of the share. You'll have vendor two and vendor three. They will all come into play. They will all, you know, connect over standards interfaces. 
and then you know the whole thing is going to disaggregate that is why you know whether it happens in 6 months or a year from now it is inevitable and i actually want to circle back to the beginning of your introduction you left the oem because you recognized that the clouds were felt more focused on the on the silicon itself but it almost seems as if we're seeing the story happen all over again on the on the ai clusters so so what is the first domino to fall to really break up this vertical integration that you're you're talking about to give that window of opportunity for ethernet to blossom over time i would say that it's actually the first dominoes have already fallen in the sense that you know even you see large clouds right some of these who have already named they're already doing it on ethernet not just here but worldwide when they're already doing it on ethernet the domino is fallen and then the reason why this ethernet is also so important is the following ethernet actually helps democratize you know ai accelerators because think about it if ethernet was not the network because this is a distributed computing problem any one gpu can only scale to that large because the ts you know you can get the largest you know die size in the world anywhere built it's still 800 mm square right so any gpu is limited in its capacity so the only way you can solve this large training models is to actually have them distributed over the network so if you don't get the network right then the one who owns the network is going to own the gpu market right so that is why there's also market forces to saying hey look let's democratize you know all networking to something like ethernet where there's a lot of players once you get ethernet to be the network then you can do distributed computing where you can bring anybody's gpu and let the best gpu win by merits of what a singular gpu can be and all of them can be connected over a network so if you think about it the market forces are such that because it's a distributed computing problem people want the network to be an open network and we already know that ethernet is you know good enough and actually is better in performance and large clouds are already doing it based on ethernet i think this is already happening it's just now it's a matter of time as you start to see more and more of this being adopted and i think ram this is a perfect time to double click down on how the newly launched broadcom products whether it's tomahawk 5 jericho 3 how are these products taking part in this changing trend if you can talk more about these products Yeah look I think you know uh, a year ago when uh, we released Tomahawk 5 which is a 50 terabit you know switch a lot of our OEM customers were asking who would be my customer that I need 50 terabits for just 18 months ago you came out with a 25 terabit device right the next thing you know there's an explosion of need for bandwidth and why there's an explosion of need for bandwidth is if you look at a traditional CPU the amount of IO that came out of a traditional CPU was roughly around 50 gigabits or 100 gigabits Now when you look at and even the 100 gigabits where you are pushing it now when you actually look at a GPU you're already at 200 gigabits IO soon uh, already shipping now soon shipping 400 gig in volume and in you know 12 to 18 months from now you'll be shipping 800 gigs in volume uh, maybe 18 to 24 months and you're probably shipping 800 gigs in volume so what this means is there is a huge growing demand for bandwidth that did not exist before And so our products are actually playing in that space just by virtue of the bandwidth that we are able to provide. You know, 50 terabits of bandwidth in a single switch, and something like Jericho 3 AI being able to connect up to 32,000 GPUs each with 800 gigabits of bandwidth. So that's number one. So in addition to providing bandwidth, we've been taking into account all of these things about how do you actually provide a lossless network and reduce congestion inside the network, and those attributes have been built into. Tomahawk 5 have you know, capabilities like cognitive routing you know which is essentially saying hey look i'm going to be aware of potential traffic jams that happen not just to the switch that is next to me but even 
mini hops away from me and accordingly i will throttle traffic right those kinds of capabilities and then you know um the capabilities in our jericho 3 ai which is the ability to buffer traffic when there is congestion and then being able to actually signal saying the network is clean enough that you can send more traffic in so there's a lot of intelligence built into these devices so our entire focus is get the network out of the way so the gpus are able to communicate with each other as fast as they can without having to you know keep those gpus side and so that's what we're doing and i think you know the demand for these devices is being you know much more than we'd anticipated because when we built it we didn't see this coming we always said hey build it and the demand will come and actually demand did come and i think a, a bunch of these products impact largely to your customers that wujin covers so i'll pass it on to him to talk more about these products so so if i think about uh, tomahawk tomahawk 5 and jericho 3i uh, 3ai right we we know that arista is interested right and and it seems as if that you guys have been uh, tied to the hip on 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 the hardware side but also we're starting to see other competitors come out of the woodwork uh talk about their own chips uh so for example Cisco announced their updated uh, Cisco 1 chip that has AI ML and I believe Marvell uh is starting to talk a little bit more about Anobium uh as a um I guess a a programmable AI ML chip could you just talk about the for from a competitive standpoint um how that would fit I mean is is competition good as because you have more ethernet uh going against nvidia infiniband you know or does this create more confusion to the market yeah look i think the beautiful thing about ethernet right is there is always many players in the ethernet market that is actually part of the reason why ethernet has been you know as successful as it has been is that it is not tied to a single vendor because when you tie to a single vendor you have you know multiple risks right one is their actually ability to invest and you know execute and innovate and two is the economics of the you know single vendor business so ethernet's always had you know competition over the many years there's always new players that came in and you know existing players that continue to stay or you know they just transitioned over so what's happening now in ethernet is no different you know which is 5 uh, to 10 years ago there was a bunch of new players that came in when the transition to cloud happened you know from the enterprise right and now when mlai comes in again there is an you know transition to players coming in because they all recognize that the need for more bandwidth is even more accelerated and what's going to happen is you know at each time as the need for more bandwidth has grown up exponentially uh, like cloud was an exponential growth in traffic till mlai is coming that is another exponential growth in traffic it is going to push each of these vendors to the limits of what the technology is capable of in terms of SERDI speeds, memory speeds, the die size that you are able to, you know, build as well as, you know, uh, exotic packaging materials and be able to provide the signal integrity that is needed and then actually also be on this treadmill of introducing products every 18 to 24 months and stay on that, you know, treadmill, right? So, at any point in time anyone in ethernet can come and say I have this one feature that's better than the other but I always say look in ethernet, you know, the shelf life of innovation is execution. Okay? Because it's all standards based which is whatever i say today i have unless i can keep up and keep improving it every 18 to 24 months somebody else will catch up right and that's the nature of the business so we much more focus on execution which is every 18 to in 24 months steadfastly predictably we keep doubling the bandwidth and we believe that is the only recipe to winning you know because everything that has features on ethernet eventually it becomes standards based 
it's interoperable. That's the only way Ethernet works. So there's nothing that beats execution. I, I have one more question before I pass it back to, to Kunjun. Um, and I'm trying to decode some of the stuff that you said in, in, in uh, during our, our, our session here today. We're talking about uh, lossless data traffic. We're talking about low latency. Uh, one, one of the things that cloud providers, as well as uh, networking providers in general, they do a lot of oversubscription. I don't think you can do that in an AI network. It is, correct me if I'm wrong. Is, is that right? So the idea of oversubscription in the network side, traditionally enterprises had far more oversubscription, which used to almost, you used to say oversubscription like 16 to 1. You know, what, may, what it meant was there were like 16 servers, you know, let's say they were connected in a rack and you had a, you know, top of rack switch there. And if you had 16 servers each connected at 10 gig, in an enterprise server, in an enterprise architecture, you would have said, oh, if I had one 10 gig uplink, I mean, you'll have two for redundancy, the right networking architecture. If you had two going up there, it was fine yeah. because not all servers are all talking at the same time. So you don't have to over-provision at all layers in the network. Then when you started to build, you know, cloud, you know, uh, architectures, you started to see the oversubscription come down from 16 to 1. You probably came down to 2 to 1 or 4 to 1, right? So if you had, you know, um, 40 gigs of bandwidth coming in inside the rack, you probably had 10 gigs of bandwidth going outside the rack. So that was what clouds look like. Then when you start to look at, you know, the MLAI infrastructure and GPUs, the oversubscription is almost down to 1 to 1. That is, there's no oversubscription. The amount of bandwidth that you connect from a GPU into the first hop switch and all the other switches in between that eventually connect back to a GPU, there is no oversubscription. That means if you have 800 gigs of bandwidth coming out of one GPU and you have 10 of them, that would be about eight terabits of bandwidth. You would have to have at least that eight terabits of bandwidth all the way to the switching fabric connecting back to another you know, cluster of GPUs someplace. So that's what we mean by you know, non-oversubscribe. So basically two things have happened. When you go from a CPU to a cloud to a, you know, enterprise to a cloud to a now an MLAI world, two things are changing. One is the amount of bandwidth coming out of each GPU, each, you know, compute node, whether it's a CPU or GPU has gone up substantially. And number two, the amount of oversubscription that people were willing to live with has gone down to be almost no oversubscription. So these two together are driving consumption of a lot more networking than you would have probably seen in a traditional enterprise. And, or you would have seen even you know five to ten years ago in a in a cloud kind of a deployment. So 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 for, for my benefit, net net more switching gear needs to go out to support an AI ML cluster. And I think we are ending towards the end of our segment, so I'll just squeeze in one big picture question. I mean, um, the rationale about the argument between Ethernet and InfiniBand makes sense, um, and as we established. AI networking is going to get a lot more wallet share than it used to before because it is becoming much more important. How do you see this sudden spike around generative AI? Does it affect your product roadmap? Uh, does it affect the cadence of your planned product launches or the spec features that you used to do in the past versus going forward? Yeah, in terms of our you know uh, product roadmap, you know, first thing is we were already on a cadence of you know eighteen to twenty four months. And our cadence of 18 to 24 months was, you know, constrained more by the process node availability, right? So, and if you actually look at the process nodes going from 7 nanometers to 5 nanometers, they are not getting any faster than 18 to 24 months. So, realistically, I don't think that cadence is going to change, right? 
but being able to within this cadence of 18 to 24 more more months process node you know availability how do you squeeze the most amount of bandwidth right that is stuff that we have always done so that is not going to change as you can imagine i think most people can look at our roadmap and say based on where broadcom is today with their tomahawk 5 at 50 terabits we know what broadcom is going to be doing in the next x number of months based on when they release tomahawk 5 and what their bandwidth is going to be right and the same is going to happen even with you know uh, the jericho class of product Uh, however the one thing we do continue to do is when there are these market transitions we look at it and say are there features that we previously used to have that we don't need to have because at the end of it the die size is limited that real estate that you can build a chip is always limited fixed it's 800 mm square independent of the process node so which means if you are scaling things like bandwidth something has to give so we always look back and say what is it that we used to have as legacy or features that were needed for maybe a compute you know network or traditional compute network or an enterprise that we can remove and instead use that die size to be able to get to more bandwidth right we to make those trade offs that's how we actually ended up launching so many classes of products when we had the tridents then we launched the tomahawks because we thought the tomahawks is not good enough or the tridents was not going to be good enough for the cloud so we continue to do that that's one and two is we are very very focused on how do you continue to improve the overall performance of the gpu infrastructure because very simply and even the nvidia folks talk about it which is the gpu infrastructure is so expensive and networking is only a fraction of the cost of the gpu infrastructure so that anything that you can do to improve the performance of the networking has an infinite return because if you're going to get more back versus what you invest in the networking by which of what you save on the gpu it's an infinite return so there's a lot of you know capabilities that are going to continue to go into our devices on how do you improve the overall gpu performance and you will see them as we announce the products ram it has been an immense pleasure and really wonderful having you on the show today really appreciate your time and wish you all the best and success going forward thank you thank you very much thank you for having us here we appreciate it